Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Wednesday, March 3rd. I'm your host, Jason Moser. On this week's wildcard episode, we're swinging for the for the fences in healthcare, folks. Today, we're going to take a closer look at three companies in the healthcare space that possess many of the characteristics of investments that have the potential to offer patient investors up to 10x returns. And, you know, maybe potential. Joining me this week, again, as we did about a month ago, I think, uh, you know, Brian, Brian, I really am happy to have you back here. It's Mr. Brian Feraldi, everybody. Brian, nice to have you back here in the virtual studio. Jason, awesome to be here. I love that uh, Wildcard Wednesday is returning to its healthcare roots today. <laughs> yeah. Well, we know listeners love healthcare. Uh, I, I love talking healthcare. I think healthcare is a fascinating market, particularly as technology is is uh, is is changing so many different industries. Healthcare is certainly no exception. Um, and, and and I think that today's conversation is going to be a really fun one because everybody loves uh, the dream of finding that next ten bagger, and it, it, that's that's it's a lot easier said than done. But but you got to start somewhere, right? I mean, ten baggers require a few things. They require companies with big market opportunities require investors with a lot of patience but but let's start before we dig into the actual companies i want to talk a little bit about just just these these 10 bagger stocks and what are some of the characteristics that you look for in these potential 10 baggers well for a stock to 10 10 bag it has to go up in 10x in value and its market cap has to go up 10x in value so when i think about what I look for in a company that could potentially uh, do that. Uh, the number one thing to me is a relatively small uh, market cap, usually below, say, $5 billion, although there's no hard and fast rules. I mean, Microsoft was worth $200 billion and then 10 bagged. So, yeah. you know, there you have to keep the scale of, uh, of things in mind. But when you're thinking about opportunities in the market that can go up hugely, starting from a very small market cap is certainly a, uh, a big, a big help. Then I also look for companies that do something special. They, they are inventing a new market. They have a new product. Uh, they're rapidly taking market share. It's one of the reasons why I love looking at healthcare because there's so much innovation in healthcare and a lot of times companies create new solutions and they literally have no competition or their, their, their solution is so different that it's not hard to believe that they can capture market share from incumbents uh, for a long, long time. Uh, and the final thing is just huge growth uh, potential. So they, they, are, they are just early on in the, uh, in the beginning stages of their commercialization phase. And basically, if they, if they can do what they hope to do, uh, it's not hard to believe that their revenue could grow 10, 100, or 1,000-fold over the next couple of years. Yeah. Now, to your point there on smaller companies, and they can have, they can tend to be a little bit on the riskier side. Um, I mean, it does feel like the healthcare sector has a lot of these types of businesses, and probably folks will see a lot of those smaller businesses with with low share prices, small market caps. Um, biotechs really come to mind, right? I mean, there are a lot of biotech companies that that play in this space that seem like they offer that potential, right? The, the lure is there, but you have to be really careful with those too. That requires a certain, a certain intimate knowledge of that market that not everyone really possesses. 
Yeah, Bi- I mean, there's lots of biotech companies that will go on to to ten bag, but there are hundreds of clinical stage biotechs on the on the market, and uh, that is truly like uh, picking a needle out of a haystack. Not only do you have to be right with your clinical assessment about the company, you have to be right with the company getting it through the regulatory uh, process. You have to dodge all kinds of safety uh, hazards, and then there's just the commercialization uh, of the product itself. Uh, so that doesn't mean that there aren't there are companies in there that will. Uh, there certainly are lots of great biotechs to buy. Uh, that's just biotech in general is just in my too hard pile. I've discovered that about myself. Uh, so the companies that we're going to talk about today are all on more of the diagnostics or the medical device uh, side. That's an area that I'm much more comfortable with. And more importantly, uh, all three of these companies are past the regulatory barrier. So they either uh, just recently got FDA approval or they have had FDA approval for a while and they are in the commer- commercialization stage. Uh, that's my favorite area to invest because because the risk is so much lower. Yeah, that 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 regulatory risk really does. Uh, it it can rear its ugly head. And, and I, I'm like you. I, I I do. I put these. I put those biotech companies. That, for me, they really are just just. I, I don't know enough about them. I don't have any inside knowledge as, as to what goes on in that in that universe. And fortunately for me, I, I learned that early on as an investor. And it, and it was a lesson that had it, it was a lesson from a positive outcome. I had invested in a small biotech company that uh, it, it, it was going through those those phase one, two, and three trials, um, pursuing a, a, a unique condition. And I just thought, okay, well, that's pretty cool. I'm going to learn more about this as I go along. And, and I, I got out while the getting was good. I made some money from the investment. That was all fine and dandy. But I learned very quickly through that process. I was like, man, this. This is really hard. What threw me for a loop is when you get that phase three trial uh, positive report, and then the stock tanks on great news. I was like, this doesn't make any sense at all. What's going on? It, it just a lot of that stuff added up to just what you said. It, it's too difficult for me to, to really fully understand, and so I typically avoid them. Um, and, and you know, hey, listen, that's what investing is all about. It's, it's learning about uh, learning about yourself as you go along, and, and uh, where you feel most comfortable. Uh, with that in mind, let's dive into these stocks that we want to talk about today. And stock number one, uh, one that I think. Folks in our foolish universe are, are learning more and more about. I, I've seen certainly uh, a lot of a lot of uh, talk about it in some of our services and, and, and elsewhere. It's a company called DermTech. Uh, the ticker is DMTK. Uh, tell us a little bit about what DermTech does and why you like it. Well, I'm hoping this name sounds familiar to listeners because we talked about it on Industry Focus way back in October uh, when the stock was at uh, $12 per share. Uh, it's currently at 68 uh, so it's had a bit of a run uh, over the last couple of months. Uh, the good news there is that this market cap, the market cap is still relatively small. So this, this is a $1.7 billion company. And I think if this thesis plays out, even from today, there is still 10-bag uh, potential. So please don't anger to that $12 price that we could have gotten at uh, several months ago. Uh, but as a reminder, so DermTech is focused on non-invasive uh, skin, skin disease uh, diagnosis, uh, particularly on, uh, on cancer. So skin cancer is the most common type of cancer. In fact, more people are diagnosed with skin cancer than all other cancers combined. Uh, about one in out of every five people uh, will develop skin cancer at some point in their life before they reach age 70. Now, with any cancer, and skin cancer falls in this category, 
Early diagnosis is key. If you can diagnose skin cancer in the very early stages, it's extremely treatable. If you diagnose cancer in the later stages, it's much harder, much, much harder to, uh, to treat and survival rates just plummet. Now, the current way that we diagnose uh, skin cancer is with a, a lesion. So a dermatologist will go, they'll find some part of your skin they don't like, and they literally cut it out with a scalpel, and they send it up to a lab for uh, analysis. Uh, unfortunately, uh, that is an, a relatively invasive procedure. It leaves scars uh, on patients, and the accuracy rates on diagnostics are just not that high. Dermtech's innovation is to create, they created a like clear band-aid-like patch that you put on top of a troublesome uh, skin area. And that patch collects the RNA and DNA uh, from the site of the lesion. And then you take it off and send it off to Dermtech's labs for uh, genetic uh, analysis. So not only is their test uh, more accurate, but there's no scar that the patient goes on. It's literally putting a Band-Aid on, waiting a couple of seconds, and taking the Band-Aid off. Uh, so there's a big win on the diagnostic side as, a, as well as a big win on the patient side. Yeah, that's interesting. And I guess, do you feel like is this is part of the, is part of the calculus here for the patient to more or less say, wow, I've got, you know, I've got a spot on my arm here that maybe looks a little bit concerning. I may want to have that checked out and then they would be able to use that um, patch. Or is this something where you would, you would go visit a doctor and the doctor would say, hey, this is something we need to be uh, a little bit aware of. And so we're going to go ahead and take this patch and do the, the sort of quasi biopsy that it, that it offers. Is it, or, or maybe it's both. I mean, maybe it's, maybe, it, but I guess my question is, is this something that only uh, takes place through visiting the physician or is this something that patients can do at home? Uh, the answer there is both uh, in, in the long term. The company is currently, uh, they just started commercializing this product a few months ago. I mean, this company is only did expected to do about $2 million in revenue in the fourth quarter. So we are talking very, very early days here. But again, it is generating revenue, uh, at least. This company's initial focus is on dermatologists because that's where a lot of the diagnostics uh, do take place. And you can see this being a very attractive uh, for, for, for their practices. A lot of times if a patient is on the fence, do I want to have a scar in me to get something checked or not? I could easily see this device helping doctors, dermatologists talk their patients into checking something uh, because there's no, there's no, there's no uh, invasive thing. There's no scar or anything like that. Uh, so I could also see that being used uh, more often. Now, longer term, uh, the company does recognize that the vast majority of patients do not visit a dermatologist. They visit a primary care. So der um, Dermtech, Longer term, does want to go into the uh, PCP market, the, the primary uh, care market, as well as they're making investments in telehealth. You could imagine you having a face-to-face -face, uh, visit, a telehealth visit with your doctor, and this thing just comes in the mail. And I don't know if it's simple enough that you can do it at home on your own or if you have to do it while a doctor is, say, uh, watching you do it over, over telehealth, but there is massive potential for this company to penetrate uh, in markets that are beyond dermatology. Yeah, I like that idea. And uh, I mean, to that, to that point about telemedicine and 
primary care. I mean, going through Teladoc Health's recent quarterly results, in, in in seeing their enthusiasm for the primary care product that they're that they're building out. I mean, it really does feel like the the this entire way that we're visiting the doctor, this entire way that we perceive um, having the doctor in our life in our lives is is changing for the better. I mean, I think it's just it's giving us more options as patients, which is ultimately a good thing. Um, in regard to the to the actual market that it's pursuing, I mean, clearly. Very early stage company. I mean, not not making a whole heck of a lot on on the way of revenue here, but it looks like it's a pretty decent market opportunity that they're pursuing here overall, at least domestically. Yeah, they believe that the opportunity for their current approvals uh, in the United States are about a $2.5 billion market. What they've been doing over the last couple of months has been gaining uh, reimbursement access. They do have access to Medicare, which is half uh, of, of the market. So that was a really key uh, win in 2020. Uh, more recently, one of the reasons the stock has been uh, soaring so much is they've signed on a number of other uh, insurers to start covering this, including uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield plans, uh, Geisinger plans, etc. So as as we see those announcements come out and the access to this uh, grow and grow, it makes sense that investors are, uh, are getting excited about it. Now, they believe that their opportunity is $2.5 billion uh, just within the U.S., uh, but that is just within their current uh, indications. They believe that this platform can be used in other types of, of cancers. They have um, uh, carcinoma and uh, something called CTCL that are uh, in, um, in the proof of concept and validation stage uh, in their pipeline. They also have a number of research partners partnerships with the likes of Johnson & Johnson, uh, AbbVie, AstraZeneca, Biogen, L'Oreal, Insight, uh, to use their technology on other types of skin diseases like uh, psoriasis and uh, lupus and atopic dermatitis, etc. So, uh, this company is not starved for opportunity right now. But even if they don't get any label expansion claims at all, uh, they believe that their opportunity for their current products are $2.5 billion in the U.S. That's a lot of room for growth uh, between $2 million a quarter and $2.5 billion per year. Yeah, absolutely, no question about it. Um, I, I mean, given everything that we've that we've covered, um, I, I mean, clearly, no investment idea is risk free. What are what are one or two of the things that that concern you or risks that you feel like investors should be aware of with ThermTech? Yeah, it's really hard to go from uh, being a research organization into a commercialization organization. Uh, those are two different skill sets, and the management team here uh, does have some history behind them. But it's it's a mistake to just say, "Oh, this company is really great at research, therefore they're going to be really great at commercialization." Those are just two different things. All three of the companies that we're going to talk about today, to me, the the biggest risk with all three of them is this doesn't work. I mean, period. They do not have operating histories behind them that show that their products and services have been adopted uh, by the market. And I worked in healthcare for, for, for 10 years, and I can tell you, things that seem like no-brainers on paper uh, might not necessarily uh, work in the healthcare community for a, a, a number of reasons. So, it can make sense, again, to go slow uh, with these companies and really judge them by their revenue growth and in a sense say, okay, this sounds awesome. Prove it. Prove it with some strong revenue growth. Then we'll believe you. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great point there. You have the idea, the product, the concept. It all sounds awesome. How, how do you gauge success? It really is just as simple as looking at that top line. Let's see that revenue growth because that really uh, that that really tells the tale. Uh, so so certainly that seems to be a, a core metric to, to stay focused on would be that revenue growth. But but absolutely a, a neat neat business there, and it, uh, clearly I I don't foresee. I mean that that you know skin cancer seems to be something that is only becoming more and more uh, 
prevalent, right? I mean, I think it's something that, that we're seeing more education, more awareness, therefore more people are focused on it. I mean, it's a big planet full of a lot of people and, uh, you know, that sun is shining bright most days. Uh, so I think that this is a problem that uh, has, has a lot of opportunity for them in, in, in trying to solve. Um, okay, let's take a look at stock number two here. This is another one that I, I've not heard of this one before, but I, I, the, the notes that you have here are really neat. Uh, Outset Medical, ticker is OM. Tell us a little bit about what you like about Outset Medical. So this is a company we did a deep dive on in September of 2020, just after it uh, uh, it, it came public. Uh, Outset Medical is a medical device company that is focused on uh, dialysis. Now, dialysis is treatment for uh, uh, kidney failure. So your kidneys stop functioning uh, for a range of reasons, and uh, your kidneys can no longer take toxins out of your body and regulate the fluids. That's one of their key functions. If that's the case, then you have no choice. You have to go on dialysis. Dialysis uh, to to live, and dialysis is a process of filtering your blood and regulating the fluids uh, inside your system. Uh, dialysis is incredibly important for keeping people alive, but it's hugely uh, expensive. And uh, about there's about eight hundred thousand uh, Americans that are on dialysis. Um, and while it's only one percent of Medicare population uh, that is on dialysis, dialysis accounts for seven percent of Medicare spending. So once somebody goes on dialysis, it is hugely uh, expensive uh, to treat them. Now, if you know anything about dialysis, you're probably familiar that most patients go to a dialysis uh, facility, and they have to go there several times per week uh, to, re- to receive uh, treatment. Uh, the reason they have to go to a facility is there is a huge training and cost burden to getting set up uh, with dialysis. What Outset has done that's really exciting is they have developed a device that they call uh, Tableau, uh, which is now, again, FDA approved. It is on the market. And this takes seven, essentially seven machines that are used in dialysis treatment and converts them into one. So it is this a smaller, a much smaller version of all these other uh, treatment options that happen at the clinic, and it can be used, uh, you could use by the patient or by the healthcare provider. They basically have they've simplified everything about the dialysis so that there's only uh, two parts uh, to the system. There's the actual console uh, itself, which looks like kind of like a, a fridge that you would have in college. <laughs> I mean, it's about it's about that big and it has some wheels on the bottle with a little uh, iPad uh, on top. And then there's a, uh, a disposable uh, part that goes into it and it has everything in that disposable part that you need to have dialysis done successfully. And you basically plug it into the wall. Uh, you add some uh, tap water uh, to it. You put in the little uh, cartridge that is uh, replaced and boom, you are up and running with uh, dialysis. And this machine is also Wi-Fi uh, connected. So if you're using this in the home, if you're using this in the hospital, all of the information that you are uh, using about your dialysis and treatment is constantly being uploaded uh, to uh, Outset's medical system and can be shared uh, with your physician so they can monitor, the physician can monitor what's happening with your dialysis treatment uh, while they're, they are far away. So the simple way of saying this is they have revolutionized uh, the way that dialysis is done and made it simple and easy. There's so many things I like about that, and selfishly, <laughs> just from from one of the services I run at work here that focuses on uh, 5G and, and the 
the, the economy developing around 5G technology. Uh, it, it, we hear a lot about Internet of Things. There's, there's a subsector of the Internet of Things called the Internet of Medical Things. And um, it, this certainly seems like it plays into that, at least a little bit, bringing the hospital to the home. And we're seeing more and more medical device companies really making those investments. I mean, one that stands out to me is Massimo. We've talked about Massimo before, but a pulse oximetry company that's working on the same type of stuff, bringing this bringing this service from the hospital to the home to make it easier for the patient and the physician to communicate and keep up with each other, monitor progress, and ensure better outcomes. It really feels like uh, this, this, honestly, Brian, I mean, I think I might be putting this one on my watch list for the for the 5G service now that, now that we're talking about it. But I tell you what really caught my attention when I looked through it, the business model for this business, I mean, very similar to intuitive surgical, you said. Please elaborate. Yep. So uh, if you're a fan of intuitive surgical, and you should be if you are in the healthcare uh, <laughs> I industry. Am. <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. Uh, the it's it's very similar business model here. Uh, so Outset will sell. They call it the capital sales, which again is the fridge size machine that kind of houses all the equipment that you need, as well as the iPad. Uh, so that is sold. Uh, to, uh, to to healthcare uh, facilities. And then uh, Outset also receives uh, recurring revenue from uh, from two, two, two sources. So first, every time that a dialysis is done, uh, there is that one piece that is a, a consumable uh, part. So that has to be changed out between every uh, single treatment. That is a recurring revenue source for the company, as well as for each of these uh, systems, uh, they have to be serviced uh, over time. So there's a service uh, contract component to this. Now, Outset has only just recently launched this. This is a relatively new technology. They do have revenue already. Uh, So through the first nine months of 2020, the company did about $33 million uh, in revenue. Uh, The bulk of that was from the capital sales because they're still getting these devices uh, out into the world. Uh, But they did have some uh, service revenue and some uh, product revenue that's starting to to pick up there. So it's going to be several years before that recurring revenue takes over and has become the lion's share uh, of revenue, just like we saw with Intuitive Surgical in the early day. But I really love that over the long term, if this company is successful, you could easily see that 70, 80% of its revenue is coming from recurring sources. Yeah, that recurring that recurring revenue is just it's it's just such a great quality for a great long-term investment. We just Look, look for it all the time, and it it, do, it does feel like that. Oftentimes, the healthcare space has has a lot of these types of opportunities, and so it was it was really, really nice to see that that aspect of this business model. Um, let's talk a little bit about the financials here, because I mean, this is still I mean, it's still a fairly young business, and and not really generating any money, so to speak. But it it is growing very quickly. Yeah, it's it's reporting triple digit uh, uh, top line uh, growth and getting this kind of system off the ground is hugely expensive. That's one of the reasons this company came public. Uh, we do have data from Q3 2020. We should get Q4 data uh, within a couple of days uh, here. So the revenue is growing uh, extremely quickly, 349% revenue growth for products, uh, 1,200% revenue growth uh, for the services segment. But you add all that together, it was only about $16 million in quarterly revenue. The gross margin here is still negative. So it's costing them more to make this system than it is for them to capture. That is something that will be improved over time uh, with scale. So if you're not making money on the system sales, how can you be, how can your company be anywhere close to profitability, right? Exactly. So their, their quarterly <laughs> net loss is about $28 uh, million. Uh, they do have plenty of capital for right now. 
They raised, uh, they had $377 million before coming public. At the IPO, they raised another $200 million. So that gives them almost, call it six, uh, $550 million, roughly, uh, in capital that they should have had at year end. That will allow them to commercialize this thing and get it up off the ground, at least for a couple of years. Uh, so it will be sometime before that gross margin turns uh, positive and they start covering their costs. Uh, but no surprise, given the stage that they're at. Yeah, the market clearly is enthusiastic about this. I mean, there's there's some belief out there right now that what they're doing is working, but um, I feel like a lot of the same types of risks that, that we talked about with Dermtech probably playing for outset as well. I mean, another thing that stood out to me, I'm not sure how familiar you are with Davida, uh, but the, the, this company made me think of Davida, which is a company that, that also works in this same space, uh, dialysis. And that's, I mean, it's, it's not... Uh, it, an absurdly larger company. I mean, it's $11 billion market cap versus um, outsets $2.2 billion. Um, I guess I guess really the difference there is that David is generating around eleven billion dollars in sales, and 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 outsets not quite there yet, of course. But what I mean, what what are some of the things to keep an eye on in in regard to an investment like this? Oh, same things that with for all these things three all three here this year. Uh, when you read through management's commentary about. Um, uh, uh, Tableau. It just it just seems like a no brainer. It simplifies uh, the training procedure. It allows people to be done these things uh, at home. There's actually a cost saving component we didn't get into, but uh, Cleveland Clinic uh, did a an analysis uh, with using Tableau in their in their hospitals, and they noted that they saw a 55 percent cost reduction uh, in di- in using dialysis because of Tableau. Uh, half of those savings were from the supplies, and the other half were from uh, the labor and the training costs. And uh, I know one. Thing about healthcare, if you can lower training costs, boy, do healthcare providers pay attention, especially for something like this where there's a huge uh Patient uh, tra- training cost. You, you can't. Ju- if you want patients to be doing this in their house, you have to subject them to hours upon hours of training to make sure that they're using it right. Uh, if Tableau can simplify that process, it sounds like a a no brainer. The question is, is it? And are there some other things that that we we are overlooking here? Uh, that we don't know. But I do like seeing that this company has grown its revenue so so quickly. And if this works, uh, boy, is there a lot of room for this company to grow. Yeah, and and to your point on the training, I mean, Brian, you and I do some work together on the uh, the augmented reality beyond service here. There's got that. I, I wouldn't be shocked at all if, if there was some type of uh, immersive technology or augmented uh, slash virtual uh, slash extended reality dynamic to some training that they offer, very similar to what uh, what uh, Intuitive Surgical has done. Um, that that's something we're seeing more and more in the healthcare space. So maybe, hey, listen, maybe outsets a company that belongs on the watch list for both the five G service and the augmented reality service. Boy, that'd be great. And the uh, the CEO of Outset is a, a lady named uh, Leslie Trigg. And uh, I've been trying to, I've reached out to her to potentially come on Fool Live to do an interview. So if we get that, I'll say, well, hey, what's the augmented reality angle here? <laughs> Excellent. Save that question for sure. Well, let's uh, let's jump into the third stock here, the final stock for the day, this Transmedics group. And uh, the ticker for this one is TMDX. And I, I do recall you and I had spoken about this one a while back. And, and it, it, when I, when I, when I was reading through what the company does, uh, I mean, really working to solve an important problem. Tell us a little bit about Transmedics and what they do. 
Mm -hmm. So Transmedics is a $1.1 billion company. It is focused uh, focused on organ uh, transportation, uh, and specifically keeping organs alive between the donor uh, and the recipient. Uh, it's create. This is a really sad stat, but uh, only about 20 to 30 percent of donated hearts, uh, lungs, and livers, uh, make it successfully into the, uh, the, the recipient. So if you're a heart, that, that stinks. If you're, if you, if you that, that, if you're uh, an organ donor, uh, I hate that knowing that only there's a 20% chance of my organs making it into somebody else to keep them uh, alive. Now, why is that? Why is the, is the failure rate uh, so high? That is because the standard of care way to transport organs between people is by flushing them with cold pharmaceutical solutions and then putting them on ice. Now, I don't know about that, but I do know that organs generally like to be in 98 degree temperatures with warm blood uh, put over them. That is their natural operating uh, environment. So, that's so I've heard. <laughs> so I've heard. That's exactly what uh, Transmedics Group uh, enables. They have a, a device uh, that they call the Organ Care System, uh, the OCS, and it does exactly that. You can take a donated heart, uh, liver, or lung, you put it in the OCS, and this will keep it at the right temperature. It will continuously circulate uh, oxygenated and nutrient-rich blood uh, over over the organ. And you can actually monitor the health of the organ uh, uh, in, in transit. If you go to this company's website, I really warn you from doing so, you will literally see hearts beating outside the body, lungs breathing outside the body, uh, livers producing bile uh, outside of the body. But because of this system, they dramatically improve the survivability rate of these organs uh, between patients, and they allow these organs to be outside the body and, and living for up to 20 hours. Now, that matters hugely because it enables long-distance travel uh, uh, of organs. Uh, if, if, if there's a donor that becomes available in, say, Hawaii, and you live in uh, Tennessee, uh, that organ can now get to you uh, in time because it can tra because it can stay alive for, uh, for many hours. So not only does it, uh, the, the big benefit here is it increases its chances of having a successful transplant surgery because the organ is healthier uh, when it's going uh, into you, as well as it could dramatic, it could dramatically increase the total supply uh, of of organs by keeping them healthier. Yeah, it really it really feels that way. I mean, it, it's essentially creating just a nice temporary little body for for these organs, which that makes a lot of sense. And that 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 statistic is just astounding to me that twenty to thirty percent actually make it. Like it'd be different if it was twenty to thirty percent fail, but only twenty to thirty percent actually making it. I mean, that is. That is a bit depressing because, I, yeah, I mean, I've got that little thing checked on my driver's license. I mean, I'm an organ donor, and uh, I'd like to think that at some point uh, maybe I would be able to help someone else out. But, man, I mean, knowing that the chances are better than not, that, that even if you try, you're going to fail, that's frustrating. And so that really, uh, that's what really caught my eye um, about this business and, and, and really what they're trying to do. Uh, and, and it looks like most, it looks like the regulatory wise, I mean, they're, they're pretty much cleared for takeoff here, aren't they? So they do have uh, regulatory approval for their the lung version uh, of their system. They are currently pending FDA approval for the heart and the liver versions of the system. Uh, so I do like that they already have one device through uh, one of the one of these approvals uh, through the FDA. Uh, and management on their recent conference call did say that they expect to have the other two uh, in the second half uh, of this year. So it isn't fully uh, de-risks, but again, they have gotten one device, uh, one system through the um, the FDA. 
and it is already generating uh, revenue uh, for them. Now, there isn't a lot uh, of revenue to go uh, on here. Uh, 2020 was a pretty tough year for a lot of medical companies. I mean, there were hospitals that were just shut down. So it's really hard to get uh, physician interest in this when everything was focused on all resources were devoted to uh, to COVID. Uh, but in the most recent quarter, we saw revenue grow 26% uh, to 7.6 uh, million. Uh, this company does have a positive gross margin already of about 63%. Uh, it did lose about $6.3 million uh, in revenue and about $29 million for the entire year. But it ended the year with about 126 million in cash, uh, so it can fund itself uh, for uh, for a, a few more years. The exciting thing about Transmedic in the long term is not only what the technology enables, but uh, for investors, this company believes that once it reaches scale, that 90% of its revenue will come from recurring sources. Every time an organ is transported from one spot uh, to the other, it requires these perfusion sets as well as liquids to keep them alive and healthy. And those are disposed of every between every single uh, treatment. So just like we saw with Outset Medical, uh, the majority of revenue in uh, for Transmedic's case should be recurring in nature in time. Yeah, I love seeing that. And um, in regard to the market opportunity, I mean, it, it, what do you estimate the market opportunity that they pursue today? And, and do you feel like that grows over time? Or is is that something that uh, is, is pretty pretty plain to see with what they're doing today? So management believes that if it can get FDA regulatory approval for uh, for lung, heart, uh, and liver, and take and execute as well as it thinks it can, uh, it's the, it, for, it projects that it can get to about $8 billion in revenue uh, over time. Again, for our last year, they only did, um, they did far, far, far less than that, uh, less than $30 million uh, in total revenue uh, for the year. So lots of room for this company to grow if it could be successful. Yeah, yeah, sounds like it. Um, assuming that probably the same, the same types of risks exist here with, with the other two businesses we've spoken, spoken about today, but anything stand out in particular um, otherwise uh, in, in regard to transmetics? I mean, a, a risk outstanding that's specific to a company like this? Yeah, again, everything that we talked about with all three of these companies are, these are all uh, post-FDA approval. They're both, they're all three very, very early on in the commercialization uh, stage. And management is telling a really good story for all three of these companies. Now the risk is they don't execute. Yeah. Period. Yep, <laughs> for it. whatever reason, for insurance reason, for their commercialization a reason, for manufacturing reasons, uh, that's why they call it risk, right? We d- these are not foregone conclusions. But all of these companies check enough boxes for me uh, that I think it's worth highlighting them, and it could be worth building a basket. I mean, I'm talking to Jason Moser here, right? This could be <laughs> this uh, this could be an interesting healthcare basket. This could be the wild card Wednesday basket, man. I mean, let's go. I think we may have just invented a new basket, Brian. I mean, well, you, go. I think you may have invented a new basket, and we, and we can brand it the wild card Wednesday basket because I, I was going to ask you. I mean, when we look at these three businesses side by side by side, I mean, you've got Durham Tech at one point seven billion dollar market cap, Outset at two point two billion, Transmedics at one point one billion. All fairly small. Absolutely can see. 10-bagger potential there just through the numbers, can certainly see it with the problems that they're solving and the market opportunities that exist. I I was going to ask you to pick one, but it really sounds like you think that that just all three make the most sense. And and to me, you know, that makes sense too. 
If you forced me to pick one, I would probably go with Dermtech just because I think it sounds the uh, sounds the coolest, and I think that there is huge potential for that company. I really like the optionality that's embedded in the company's long-term pipeline uh, too. But yeah, I wouldn't go hog wild with any of them. If uh, if I was going to play this, I would buy a small basket of these three companies as well as many of the other high-risk, high-reward companies that we've talked about on Wildcard Wednesday uh, before, and then watch them and add to the ones that are executing. Yep, I think that's a great point there. Watch them and add to those winners because typically those winners are, are, are winning for a reason, right? It means they're doing something right, and, um, and and those are the businesses you want to keep you want to keep building those positions in. So, listen, Brian, this is terrific. I mean, all three really fascinating companies. I know our listeners always enjoy getting uh, fresh ideas, particularly ideas that offer so much potential upside. Uh, and and I think you've really you've really keyed in on three businesses that a lot of folks need to know more about and three businesses I'm going to enjoy following one in particular without set uh you know I'm going to dig a little bit more into this one for for the purpose of both services so I think after we get done taping me you and I need to set a meeting and talk a little bit more about this one (laughs) let's do it all right man well I think that's going to do it for us this week Brian but thank you so much for all the work and taking the time to jump on the show today Anytime, Jason. Happy to be here. And remember, folks, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus, or you can drop us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks, as always, to Tim Sparks for putting the show together for us. For Brian Feraldi, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. 